Hello, and welcome to Automating Success Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Langton, and with me as always, my co-host and daughter, Julia Langton. I'm a serial entrepreneur and president of Langton Group, working towards uniting the landscaping industry and helping everyone to not only survive, but thrive during the upcoming automation revolution. Our goal with this show is to inspire all of our listeners to incorporate automation into their business and maximize the associated benefit for your business and employees by sharing experiences, insights, and amazing interviews with the best thought leaders in the industry. We will also be chronicling the growth of mine and Julia's newest automation-focused startup venture, Automated Outdoor Solutions. Now let's get the show started. Jennifer, great to meet you today. Um, this is Automating Success Show. I'm the host, Joe Langton, and I'm going to let you introduce yourself to the audience. Thanks for having me, Joe. I'm so excited to get a chance to chat a little bit and uh, answer some questions. Um, I am currently, uh, I'm with Weedman Lawn Care. Uh, it's a franchise lawn care. We strictly do fertilization. We control insect control. We don't do any uh, type of lawn mowing or, or anything like that. Uh, we've actually just introduced a, a new service uh, to our portfolio, Mosquito uh, Services, and we'll probably get a chance to talk about that a little bit later in the show. Um, I'm currently the CEO of uh, Weed Man. I, my successor is my father, uh, so I follow in uh, pretty big footsteps. Um, he, say, he says that he retired this year, but honestly, I think I talk to him more now than I did when he was actually in his role. So uh, he's having a tough time letting go, but obviously very welcome input uh, that he gives me. Uh, you know, he's been my mentor and, and just adore working with him and, and hope that never actually changes, to be honest. Uh, I've um, started with Weedman as, uh, you know, kind of did a bunch of different things uh, growing up for my dad. He bought his first franchise when I was 16 years old. So kind of learned the business from the ground up. Um, but my I started in operations, uh, started at his franchise in Hull, Quebec. And then moved to Ottawa, which is our nation's capital here in Canada, and, and ran that office with my husband. And then jumped into uh, Turf Holdings, which is the uh, master franchisor for Weedman in the U.S. And then that ultimately came to us having an opportunity of buying out Weedman Canada. So now we own uh, the worldwide rights to that, and I get to uh, call this my my home and my career. So. Uh, that's a little bit about me. Quick elevator speech. Yeah, well, yeah, that was a good one. It was uh, impressive. And you, you kind of gave me chills talking about uh, your dad and how you how much you talk to him. Because I, I say constantly that I feel like the luckiest dad in the world to uh, be working with my daughter. One of my other businesses I own with my brother. So I, I really enjoy working with family. And there's a lot of people that are surprised when they hear that a family business is succeeding. So it sounds like you like this is just another success story and it, it 
I'm all smiles hearing it. You know? Yeah, no, it's so great because I think our industry, we have a lot of that. We have, you know, father, daughters, fathers, sons, uh, husband and wives in the industry. So it's fun. It adds some complexities at times, um, but by and large, it's it's uh, it's been it's been good for us for sure. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, well, I could tell just by the smile as you were talking about it that how you know how from the heart that statement was. So so you know then I guess uh, you know you already said what you do. You already said you worked with you know you you've been doing stuff with your dad. But maybe tell us a little about your childhood. I, I like people that. You know, I think we all like kind of morph into what we are as adults, but I think our childhood really defines the direction we end up going anyway. So if you want to get go a little farther back for us, you know, a little further back. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's funny. My uh, uh, I grew up I was an only child for 15 years and uh, and then my parents uh, decided to have another baby after I was 15 years old. So my brother, I have one brother uh, and uh, we are very, very different people. He was he was, did work for the company for a little while, but decided to go out on his own. And he does a lot of digital type marketing and, and whatnot. So he's kind of building his own Thing. Hopefully he comes back. I actually loved uh, having him in the company, but it's kind of like I'm his mom too, you know? So uh, I think for him, it was, uh, you know, we, he, I grew up without him in my life too much, but then when he was a part of my life, he was a big part of my life. And then I moved away, of course, to go to university. So, uh, but we still have that relationship that I'm kind of like a mom to him more than a, than a sister, so uh, for me, you know, growing up pretty much as an only child, you know, you get, it's almost like you're an adult growing up. It's kind of a, a weird thing. Um, you know, you're brought to all the parties and you kind of sit around the table because you hear more of the adult conversation because there's nothing really else to do. And um, so I, I guess as I grew up, one of the things, you know, I was, I was, quiet um, growing up and I would listen a lot to what people were saying and you know read people and and figure out what they're all about I just love hearing people's stories so I think for for me the way I grew up kind of as an only child and then Danny kind of coming later on in life it just um, uh, it gave me an opportunity to I guess be a little bit more like an adult growing up people used to say oh my goodness you're so mature and and I, I'm, it's, it served me well, um, being that way. Cause I finally, I listen a lot to, to people and, um, and, you know, my parents, when we grew up, they grew up, uh, we were very poor, very, very poor. My dad, uh, my mom and dad had me when they were 19 years old. Uh, he worked, uh, nights and, went to school during the day, uh, got his chemical engineering degree. Um, and you know, they, he kind of built himself up when we were, uh, when I was in, we were in Toronto before we started Weedman, he worked for a company called Union Carbide and he was on his way up the corporate ladder. Uh, in fact, oftentimes when we were, uh, going to school, I'd be picked up in a limo and they'd drop me off the limo and then he'd go off to work. And, and so when he came home and said, 
I'm leaving all of this <laughs> to go and uh, start a business. It was like, oh my goodness, this is craziness. Like what, you know, why are we doing this as a family? And we ended up moving back to Ottawa and, and kind of the rest is history. I think it was a good move that he did. So, so for me, um, watching my dad and my mom who worked all her life, um, I learned to be a, they were hard workers, you know, nothing came easy. Uh, it was all, um, it all came down to hard work. They were very, they included me in everything. Like I said, you know, I was always brought to all the parties and, you know, got to hear all the conversations and sit at the table with the aunts and uncles and, and just all of that has really kind of, I think, shaped who I am today, watching them work hard and um, treating me as almost like not just a kid at the table, but an adult. So always valued my opinion and always looked to me and talked to me like I was was an adult. So I know that was a long winded uh, answer, but that kind of, I think, shaped who I was. And I, I was thinking about that question, um, you know, before you sent me the, the questions, I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to answer that, you know? Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I think that it's, um, so I found out I was having a daughter when she was 19 and she is also an only child. Um, and I met my fiance, um, when Julia wasn't quite 15. So you guys actually have a lot of parallels. I'm, I'm really sad she's in school right now. It's not on this podcast because she'd be sitting here right now. And I would literally want to ask her. So I'm saying it so she hears it. Like there's some parallels there that I never thought about the fact that yes, as an only child, I took her every place and um, she was always at the table because there was nobody for her to run and play with. And people are always commenting how she's like 20 going on 40 and I never thought about why that was. And now it's it's interesting you say that. And that's an awesome take. I'm so glad you answered it the way you answered it. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. So so then going back then, okay, you know, because obviously I, I you said you went away to college. That's when you weren't around your brother as much and stuff. You know, looking at where you're at now in your life, is it, you know, like obviously you were sitting at the adult table as a kid then you go away and go to school and now you're running this massive organization. So is it a combination of all, or do you almost look back on it and like, like what's the parts of your life that probably you feel like drive your success the most? Huh. I, I think for me, what drives me is, is people. I, you know, I, I love people. I love, um, you know, people say, well, why, like, why are you always pushing to grow the company? Why, why is growth top end growth so important? And I know that if you're not growing, you're going backwards. Um, if you're growing, you're creating opportunities for people and it could be existing people in your organization that want a promotion and that want to go somewhere. You're giving them a career path. So for me, that really drives me when I, you know, People go, oh, it's all about the money. It's not. It really is. There's only so much money that you can make and all of that. What makes you excited to come put your two feet on the ground every morning? For me, anyway, it's it's people. And when I was running the Weedman uh, franchise in, in Ottawa, 
you know, prior to that, you know, when I went to university, I was in political science and I thought maybe I'd go through and become a teacher. I really thought that that would be something that I would like, I would enjoy. And, and then when the opportunity came up and I joined Weedman, I realized that I get to do this every single day. I get to teach people. I get to work with people, teach them, mentor them and grow. You know, I've, I've got some employees that I hired back when I was running the Ottawa franchise that are now working with me here at Turf Holdings. They've been with me for over 25 years. Uh, You know, so I just love people. And when I realized that I got to do what I love to do every single day, that's when I knew that I was in the right place. We, you might be my best friend up in Canada now because we're totally aligned with that. I, 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 I could like my people, my team. I was going to listen to this podcast and and just be like, wow, you know. And and I think it speaks to your leadership. You know, I mean that when when you're that passionate and you want to teach and you want to do the things that you do, it just it becomes so easy to become a great leader because you you don't you're not even trying. It's just it's it's what you want to do. So I. I I, I applaud you for that. And, and, and by having people that have been in your life for 25 years, you're doing something right. Cause our, our industry is the type of industry where people try to poach and pull away and, and they're always looking for the best deal, but you can always tell the people that have something really special going on when they have those 25 year employees. So. Yeah, it, it is special. It is special for sure. It really is. Yeah. It's like your work family. You know, it's like, I yeah. always say I have my work family and my family, you know, and it's like, yeah. And, and you know what, you spend sometimes more time with your work family than you do with your own families. That, so. that is true. I, I just had, I, like uh, I, I, I just had like, she was kind of my bookkeeper, but she kind of did everything for us. And she ended up taking a job someplace else. And I, and I told her as happy as I was for her, I almost felt like I got broken up with in the weirdest oh. way, you know, because I, 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 I want all of my people to retire with me. So when, when yeah. that like professional relationship ends, it's like, wow, that that's it. But I, I think it's what happens as entrepreneurs sometimes, you know, when it, it's like you start to develop such a personal um bond with your people like that's a, I think that's the hardest thing for me anyways is not to get too attached because you realize they could go at any time you know so. yeah yeah I always it's better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all so <laughs> that's my motto with my oh, people. maybe I should frame that on my wall so I can remind myself of that you know there you but, go uh, yeah so so what college courses, so, you know, you went to school. So what, what courses yeah. did you take and what courses do you think are helping you best in your, in your path? Well, it's, it's funny you ask that. I took political science. So that, um, you know, you could argue that it probably doesn't give me a whole lot. I did go back and took uh, some accounting courses in college after university. And truthfully, that was, that was something that I, I knew if I was going to, you know, continue to grow and evolve. I needed to understand financials and understand kind of the nitty gritty of accounting and where to find things. So that for me, I think when I went back and realizing that I started my career, was that weed man? Um, and then realizing that this was a gap for me um, and to go back now. And now I'm able to teach other people how to read financials, do business plans and all of that. That was probably a, a key 
a key decision for me to go back and take some of those courses. You know, I didn't get a, a degree in accounting, but I went back to understand and, and be able to talk intelligently about uh, financial statements and getting down into the weeds a little bit, pun intended, uh, on that is, you know, understanding debits and credits and being able to teach people how to do that, make it very simple in layman's terms for them. So um, that was an important piece. And it's funny, my daughter actually uh, finished, she has her MBA, well, I guess it's a master's in accounting. So she actually went and got her master's in accounting and has just recently joined the company. She runs our Houston franchise. So that's pretty exciting too, when now we're three generations in the company. Um, it's a pretty proud moment to see when that happens. Yeah, no, that <laughs> you should be very proud. Um, yeah. My daughter's going for business management right now. And there you go. Awesome. Accounting in that. And she being with me so much, and I think you'll appreciate this, like some of her first courses she took, she was like, dad, it's, I'm almost getting penalized because I know too much. They're asking why I already know this. It's like, that's advanced accounting. And it's like, it's, you, you don't realize how much that we just pick up by doing every day. Um, yeah. But I applaud you for going and, and making sure, because then you don't have to take someone's advice on, on your books. You know what's right or wrong on your own. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, good advice for people listening. Um, so, so tell us about your first franchise. Uh, we men franchise in Quebec then and, um, you know, takeaways like, you know, like obviously we all are learning all the time. So was there any takeaways that, you know, as you started growing what you're doing, um, what thought you're doing? Yeah. You, know? you know, at the time when I was in it, I probably didn't appreciate it as much as I do now looking back. Um, when I was working, that was my dad's franchise in Hall, Quebec. So before I joined the company, he wanted me to go train in this operation. And then the following year, my husband and I had our very own uh, franchise, which was in Ottawa. So when we, when I was training, I was joke, but I think I probably made less than a dollar an hour because I was putting in the hours, you know, and uh, but I did every role in the company every role from back then we were doing telemarketing I did sales I did I was a technician out on the lawns I've been a senior technician I worked in the office I did accounts receivable you name it I I've done every single position you know even clean toilets and I still have my rotation on my week to do bathrooms so I am not when somebody's talking to me I've you know, I'm able to walk the walk, talk the talk, do everything in between. I understand what they're saying. I, I've been there. I've done that. I've been, you know, on the hood of the truck because you're sweating and trying to fill out an invoice or an, a customer that isn't happy and you're trying to talk them, you know, off the off the ledge. I, I've done it. So I can fully appreciate what people are going through. And, and then to follow that up, we were in, a, a, we bought an existing franchise. It was small. It was 250,000 at the time. And, and my husband and I grew it to 2 million in six years. So, you know, I've been there. I know what it's like to have that lump in your throat starting a business. And, you know, you got to, you've, you've just bought four brand new trucks and you know that it's your job to fill each truck up. And there's, you know, not enough revenue when you we first bought. I remember we bought four trucks our first year, and I would be like, "Okay, yes, we got one truck filled. Yes, we got two trucks filled." 
So all of that, I think, really helped shape who I am today and the level of involvement that I can get in with my franchisees. You know, I can go, I can sit in on a technical discussion and listen, you know, my husband's really good at all the products and whatnot, but I get what they're saying. I know exactly when, you know, they're talking about striping or anything like that. Like I, I've been there or I can be on the next call in accounts receivable and talking, you know, process flow and how things are going. So for me at the time, it seemed like it was a lot of work. I was working day and night, you know, 12, 16 hour days uh, learning but it truly shaped me who I am today and what level of support I can give my, my franchisees for sure. Yeah. That, that, that's awesome. So, so when somebody gets uh, started with a franchise with you, like, like what, what is, what is Weedman's goal to help with people? You know, cause obviously the podcast automating success, right? So like there has to be something you're doing to help these people with this, with, to help them be successful. But at the end of the day, like you just said it, it's up to them to fill the trucks, you know? So how do you, how do you tell that story and get these people trained up so they're successful and, um, and, and not, there's not, not any finger pointing, you know, cause to me yeah. being like a, uh, you know, an S corp. And I, once I go in, I'm the person, I sometimes wonder how, you know, someone like you makes a sick, uh, franchise model so successful and hopefully you, you'll not mind sharing it for the listeners that might be. Thinking. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. We, um, you know, for us, everything starts with a business plan. So we do what's called zero based budgeting. And so just for the listeners, um, zero based budgeting is we don't do incremental budgeting, meaning like this year we, we ended with X, we want to grow by 10%. So we're going to increase costs by 10%. We look at our historical data and we really categorize all of our, um, our like our database. So all of our, we look at renewals and we say, okay, last year we renewed it this much. For the last five years, we've renewed at this rate. How can we, and when we're talking, we're talking like little percentages up, um, you know, 0.001 percentage, you know, what that will give us. So that's how much detail we go into. Then we look at our old prospect file. We look at our old customer file. How are we going to market? You know, what our contact rates have been in the historically? How can we make those better? What are tweaking? And, and then we plug that into what we call our income from sales portion of our, our business plan. And then we that flows right into direct expense admin and, and selling. Then we have, you know, some franchisees that are multi-units. That rolls up into a multi-unit. And then we also do 10-year planning sessions where we take that one year and then with assumptions, we're able to go out uh, 10 years. So the business plan is the core of everything that we do. And we build that with the franchisees. So all the decisions that are being made, they're making them and they're entering it on their laptop or computer that they bring to training. So it's their business plan. We guide them through it. Uh, their first year. Then we take that and every piece of the business plan throughout the whole life journey of the franchise, you know, being that year, uh, we measure everything that we do. So, and we, we share all those numbers with the system at large. So everybody now is talking the same language, you know, OPs for old prospects and OCs for old customers and all of those things. 
now that we're all talking the same language, we're also all measuring the same way. So we're able to show metrics. You know, if you do X, Y is going to happen. And we can show, go down the list of franchise and CC. Look at all these people making it happen. So we create a, a, a pretty big belief window for new franchisees and even existing franchisees. There's nobody that can say, well, it doesn't work in my marketplace. They can look across the board and say, it's working everywhere else. It might be me. <laughs> it might yeah. be the, the reason. So um, so for us, that that is key. And again, having all of the systems flow from that and then and then the training. So we have all the measurement tools and then we go into training. So every position and we do all of our training online. Uh, so when you become a franchise, you know, we'll do, I would say, 90 percent of the training can be done online um, where a technician can sit down, go through the training. And then the last 10 percent, which would be on the lawns, then the the um, uh, franchisee would then handle that, but we would guide them through that at head office. So it's it's pretty it's a pretty slick system, um, fairly sophisticated uh, business planning tool. And we started when I first started. We didn't have Excel and all of that. We actually wrote it all out on, and it used to take us a week. We would lock ourselves in a room, my dad and I, and a box of pencils, and we would write out the business plan. So renewals, we are going to do, we and we would count the files that we had and, and then go through and keep all of our stats manually. So, you know, of course, when Excel came along, it was like, oh, thank goodness it's here uh, to help us automate some of that. So, you know... When franchises say we're a turnkey operation, I I would be very suspect of that. I you know, and when we're looking for franchisees, we're looking for the right fit, and that might sound cliche to a lot of people, and that and that's fine. Um, if you're one that comes in and doesn't like direction or input then the fit's probably not there. And there's a lot of people like that. And that's okay. There's very successful people that aren't franchised that are doing their own business. When somebody comes in and is open-minded and realizes that we're business partners now, we're not, you know, we're, we're going to work together to make you successful in the lawn care space. That's what we do. That's what we know how to do. Um, the worst thing I've seen, and, I, and it's happened, we've had franchisees come in and try and reinvent the wheel. And it's like, it's just not going to work. It's just not going to work. We're just going to continually, you know, bash heads through the, the process. So we need somebody that's willing to have a partner, uh, a partner that doesn't have a say in the day-to-day happenings, but a partner in the sense that we're going to help you. And if you follow our direction, you're going to be successful. There's no doubt in my mind you're going to be successful. Now, a lot of people were not a part of their business and they're successful and they figure it out on their own. Of course, that happens all the time. But for us, we try and create a formula that we can get you there quicker. That's really what we do. Well, and it sounds like you're having years of um, years of systems. You know, I mean, at the yeah. end of the day, you just keep you, you, you know, now, like you just said, you're down to the 0.002 percent you know, yeah. because you have years of data to show. And it sounds like, you know, it's like the whole snowball analogy, you know, now it's a lot easier 
um, for you to point out that the franchisee might be the part of the equation that's not working because you have the data to prove it at all, in all the other markets versus probably when, when your dad decided he was going to start this, you, you know, those first 10, those first 10 or 20 are probably your hardest franchises that you have because everybody's trying to figure out if, if you're getting this one more time than this one. And I'm sure, right. I, I, yeah. assume yeah. I don't have a franchise, but that's what I would Yeah. Expect. Well, you know, the, when we first started and, and maybe this, I, I, I really didn't mention this, but we started off as a franchisee. We were a franchisee of the founder, Des Rice. So Des Rice so was the founder. Okay, good. Yeah. yeah. So when he started his first franchise in Hall, Quebec, and then went to Montreal, and then when we went into Ontario, that's when Chris and I got involved, and, and our best man and his wife got involved in the business. Then all his brothers got involved, and it's it's quite a family affair. We'll, we'll have to go through that one time over a beer at some point. So it's a long story. We've got a lot of family members and, and siblings and wives and, and husbands. So um, by doing that, we were in operations building the systems. So, you know, Des created a platform for us to, you know, he was really strong in the technical system. He was always a big believer of make it simple and um, also put the customer first and you're going to be successful. So when my dad joined Weedman, they didn't have business planning and, you know, they had telemarketing, but they weren't tracking it to, you know, try and figure out what it was. That's what my dad brought to the table as a franchisee and then became the biggest multi-unit. I think we acquired probably between 40 to 45 franchises across Canada. And we now call them kind of our corporate stores here in Canada. So when we approached Des to buy the rights to the United States, Des was like, yeah, of course, go at her because Weed Man wasn't in the US yet. So that's where back in, I, I guess it was in the late mid to late 90s when we acquired the master rights to the US uh, from Des. And then I only became involved in 2000 in, in the U.S. So when I got involved in the U.S., we were at about a million in sales. Uh, we had three or four franchises. And now, you know, fast forward to today, we're uh, in the U.S. I think last year we were at about $148 million of revenue. And then we just took over the uh, uh Des passed away a few years ago. His wife was running it and she's 70 years old, decided she wanted to retire. So she approached us to sell it. So we're actually the franchisor, but we're also a franchisee of ourselves as, as well. So it's, it's a, a little bit complicated story, but it, um, it's been good because we, I grew up in operations. That's, I, I know it inside and out. So it's not, it's not foreign to me. And I think there are some franchise organizations that it's the opposite. They got into the space as already maybe a home service type business where we grew up from the below to up kind of thing. So yeah. a little different. No, that's a fascinating story. Actually, I'm, I'm glad you actually explained all of that um, because I don't know that I could have broken that down even if I had the question to ask you properly, yeah. you know, but, but it, it's actually, it's, uh, it's really fascinating, um, because I don't think anybody expects to get started as a franchisee and then end up becoming the franchisor, but it just goes to show, you know, the, the hard work 
and uh, the dedication you guys put into the business, it had to show to the actual franchisor, which is what allowed you to be in the position you're at. So yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. no, it's been, it's been great. It's been really good. So, you know, it sounds like, I mean, this is pretty much been what you've been doing your entire life. So like talking about any mentors in your life besides your dad, like were there any other people that you want to like bring up that really kind of like showed you the ropes and has made you the woman you are today? Yeah, there's a couple of people that stand out. Um, so before I joined Weedman, which is probably one of the best things that I did, you know, of course, he bought it when I was 16. I went to university. I also uh, decided to work at the University of Ottawa where I was going. And because of that, I was able to go to university for free. So I would. Um, so I went in, I walked in and got this job. I started off just filing and um, doing a few odd jobs and I, I needed money. So I just literally walked into an office and said, hey, is there anything you have that I could do for you? And I just happened to walk into the right office at the right time. And they said, yes, there is. In fact, we have filing and, and whatnot, which then led to me working at the university full time in a position um, I was the liaison officer, so they had distant education. So they had a teacher at the University of Ottawa, and then they would teach all the way up, way up north in remote centers. And back then they had an electronic chalkboard and speakers at all the desks. So I would go in and be able to wire desks and make sure the teachers, all the, the information from the teacher was out in the centers and the coordinated tests and, and whatnot. So I did that, and my boss at the time was Don McDonnell. And he was just really a great, great first boss. He was this man that kind of would give me a little bit of the, you know, you don't know when you're young, you're walking in that, that even politics exists in an organization. And he would pull me aside and he'd say, okay, when they ask, the girls ask you to go to lunch and, you know, the front office asks you to go to lunch, you go, but you don't go all the time. And don't get bogged down in the, the conversations when they start talking about the boss and because those conversations will come back to, to bite you. So that was one uh, piece of advice that he gave me that I thought, wow, you know, I'm just kind of learning the ropes. The second piece of advice, and I didn't really realize it was advice at the time, uh, but when, before I left, I realized what he was doing. So every time if I had an issue or something came up, I would go into his office and say, okay, this is the issue. I don't know, you know, what should we do? And he'd go, you have the answer. Go back to your desk, think about it, and come back to me with a few solutions. So he I did that enough times that I stopped going to him. So maybe he was smarter than I thought. Um, but it made me start to think of solutions. That every problem has a solution. You just got to think about it and be strategic about it. And how do you prevent some of these things from happening? So then instead of going into his office to just discuss the issue, we were now going, I was going into his office to discuss the solutions and the different opportunities. So that was really a helpful thing. And I've used that a lot in my career, uh, using that strategy with people because it's so much more fun to talk about solutions than talk about the issue. Yeah. Um, so so that was that was good. Now, of course, my dad and, you know, I don't want to talk too much about that because I'll cry. So we'll skip over that. But he's meant clearly a lot to me and, and my life and, and, you know, both professionally and personally. Um, but also when we went into the U.S., uh, 
we solicited, um, we have what we call sub-franchisers. So they're really our partners, but we've sold large geographic areas. So we were the master franchisor. And then some, we, um, we met some really great people and we sold them a sub-territory, which meant that they would buy a large geographical area and then they would sell franchises in that area and also uh, support the franchisee. So we would support the sub, the sub would support the franchise in half of the US and the other half it's direct to us. So everything that we do, we kind of there, we run through them. So they also have operations as well. So they have a weed man franchise, they're a sub, so they're kind of in the thick of things. We use them as testing areas but every decision that we make we make as a group and um you know originally we had 13 and now we have we have 10 of those subs um and every single one of those uh gentlemen happens to be gentlemen some of them are couples but have challenged me to a certain degree have coached me have mentored me so it's been so cool to have um, so many different perspectives and, and, you know, they, these guys were very successful before they joined Weedman. Most of them had built a lawn care company, sold to True Green, and then got back in after their non-competes were done. So they brought all of that experience to the table all of that doing business maybe a little differently than we did and working with them to bring them into our systems and them speaking our same language and learning from them has been instrumental in my in my career and you know I've often been the only woman in the room but have never felt like the only woman in the room and it's because of them, you know, being there and supporting me and allowing me to be who I am. I mean, I, I've been doing, uh, you know, before becoming CEO, I was the chief, chief, whatever that means, operating officer. So I've been kind of doing this role for a long time. And without them, I, I wouldn't be who I am today, for sure, for sure. Well, you said thanks. I would say a lot of that. And also thanks to you just fitting in in the room and just, uh, you know, because I, I think people have to feel comfortable on both sides. This is one of the things that I always when I'm mentoring my daughter, you know, is just to remind her that, um, you know, it, it, it's like I'll say it like this. If I if I'm going to be in a room full of women, I have to fit in with the women. And if you're going to be in a room full of men, fit in with the men, you know, yeah. Um, and it's one of the things that this might get me into some trouble and I might get some bad emails back on my podcast for that. But, but I mean, at the end of the day, we're all human beings and people just want to feel comfortable with people. So it sounds like they made you feel very comfortable, but it likely is because you also made them feel comfortable. And I just want to make sure that I express that as a man talking to you because uh, yeah. it's important to say, you know. Yeah, you know, you're, you're right. Um, you know, there's so many taboo things that you can't talk about, but it would be even if I was a man, if I walk into a room and demand respect, probably not going to get it right. Yeah. If I come into a room and earn respect, that's whether you're a woman or a man, you have to be 
self-aware of yourself and, and what you're behaving. So I, I don't think you're saying anything wrong. I think you're pointing out a very relevant point. You, you know, just because I'm a woman, I shouldn't demand respect. I need to earn it and I need to work hard to earn it. Um, so that was, uh, you know, one of the things that I always, you know, I'm when I sit in a room, I often think I am, uh, I am definitely not the smartest person in this room. Definitely not. Uh, but can I outwork most people? I can. And I, that's something that I take pride in. And everyone knows that, like, you know, if there's somebody working on a Sunday night, they know it's probably me out working to make sure everything's okay. And, and that's just who I am. Um, so I think that's where I've earned most of their respect. You know, a lot of people ask me the question, you know, what's it like being a woman in the room? And it's like, well, it's probably tougher being the daughter of the CEO or a young person when I first came in to understand all the dynamics and sit back. So, you know, when you asked me that first question when we first started, um, you know, my parents allowing me to be at the table and listening and, and being an active listener um, has really helped me. It really helped me um, be able to, to read a room very, very well. Yeah. Well, I think you bring up, I, I, first of all, I, I want to expand on the statement of you saying you're not always the smartest person in the room. Uh, I say that. And, and I think that some of the most successful people actually do a really good job of making sure they're not always the smartest person in the room because it means you're not going into enough rooms. You know, it's like for my listeners, like if, if, if you're the smartest person in the room all the time, you're living an isolated life, you know? That's right. Yeah. And you're not learning from other people. And, yeah. uh, and then secondly, you know, to elaborate on, on the problem solvers, you know, obviously I have a lot of employees and, and I actually tell my, my team members, at the end of the day, just hire problem solvers, you know, because I think the most successful companies are the companies that have the most problem solvers on staff, you know, yeah. it doesn't make a difference what industry you're in. So I see these companies that try to, you know, get these people that are like siloed off, like I have a really great marketing team, or I have a really great sales team. But my question always is, but how do they interact to solve problems? Because, yeah. because people use the service industry to solve a problem. You know, in your industry, it's, I don't want to fertilize my own yard. Every time I do, I brown it out and I stripe it and I do all sorts of weird stuff. So solve my problem, you know, yeah. contractors, like even like myself, I, I have to tell you, you know, uh, Jennifer, you brought up True Green. Like when we were smaller, we did the fertilizing in-house. And the reason we did is I was not immune to hopping on a, on a permagreen and going and hitting all my chase banks because they needed to be done on a Saturday, you know, whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. And I got bigger and said, ah, no more permagreen for Jill, you know? And then I didn't have great, it's like, I felt like, like the people doing it for me, I wasn't getting the results. And I went to true green. Then I didn't like that big corporate feel, you know? So I'm sure like, as I'm saying this, I would probably be the perfect fit for weed man, you know, like, because, you know, you, you would need, be. yeah, because you need that like small, like, because, because I have zero desire to fertilize, you know, mm -hmm. because I will admit, it seems like every time my people do it, every time I hand it back off to my Langton people, something happens, like somebody's tomato plants die three yards oh. away, right? And then, <laughs> and then I'm going and researching it, you know, and, and, yeah. and I say that, I'm saying this on the podcast, because, you know, I, I think that our industry, 
you know, to make it more professional, sometimes um, people in our industry want to try to be the problem solvers or the professionals at everything. And I think sometimes we have to understand and identify the things we can, the problems we can solve easiest with the skill set we come into, and then either contract out or get involved with the people that can solve the other problem. And whether that's yeah. hiring people or joining organizations like yours um, or getting involved with, I think that's the way forward. And that's my two cents to the industry, you know? Um, yeah. So, um, so to, unless you want to elaborate on that, do you want to? No, it's very well said. Very well said. <laughs> All right, great. So, um, so like, like right now, you know, seeing our industry where it's at, you know, and, and where we're going and where it was when you got started with your dad to where it is now, what's our, what are some changes that you can identify, uh, you know, maybe talking about labor, um, people coming out of school, even wanting to be involved in this industry, and then some pivots or directions you're looking to go now as a CEO of a very large uh, company in our industry. Yeah, um, that, those are a whole lot of questions. Yeah, that's there. a lot so of questions. I should have broken those down. So, so you got to understand, this is this is sometimes what happens to me. I, my daughter usually does a good job of helping. See, this, I, I, I really wish she was here with me. I, I, hopefully she hears me say this enough that she'll start to figure out how we can schedule around her, work, her school schedule. But yeah, she usually breaks this stuff down better than I do. I always am the 40,000 foot guy and just pop it all out. <laughs> So anyways, but we can break it down. However, I'll make sure that you answer most of it. So, okay. I, I'll start with the, the industry. So <clears throat> I think the industry has become more and more sophisticated. You know, we're not a hundred percent there. I don't know if any industry is a hundred percent there, but I feel from where we first started, um, you know, starting to go well back in the day, it was the Placa days to today. Now the Alca and Placa merging and it's NALP going to some of those meetings, going to some of the consultants meetings that are out there um, really feel that there has been a huge um, advancement in our industry. We have more and more business people uh, in the industry that are um, hopefully people can look up to and, you know, aspire to be uh, like them. Um, so, which is, which is great. I think that is a huge difference. You know, back in the day, you'd say, you know, do you do business plans and people like, what are you talking about business plans? No, <laughs> don't do business plans. Where more and more people you hear, they do business plans and they do, you know, uh, they meet with peer groups and they compare notes. And, you know, so you hear a lot more of that. And I think a lot of the consultants in our industry have really helped in that, in that space. Um, and uh, as far as, what was the, sorry, what was the next question? So that was my view on the industry. Where so it's, yeah. Yeah. so, so uh, how about labor, you know? Labor, yeah. So it's interesting. <laughs> I have a huge opinion on labor. Um, and people sometimes don't like to hear my opinion. Um, the world has changed. <laughs> Newsflash. Things are going a lot faster. Um, so those A players are out there. You just got to be faster to get them. You got to be quick. You got to be innovative. You got to create uh, a destination workplace for this, for these uh, people, you know, like, and, and we have franchisees that don't do a very good job at this. And we have franchisees that do a great job at this, like gone are the days where you can put an ad in and now, you know, clearly it's online 
where you collect all of the resumes. And at the end of the week, you pick up the phone and you start to call through the resumes. They're already gone. They're off the market. They've been hired. You're up against, you know, the Ubers and the skip the dishes and Amazon and all of these others. It's not just our industry anymore. You're up against all of these. And if you were to go online right now and apply to one of those positions, and and I recommend everyone does this, go and see how quickly you get through their pipeline. I did it. I did it myself to see. I went and I started applying at jobs. I wanted to see the flow. I wanted to see their pipe. What does it look like? You know, one of them was skip the dishes. I wanted to see what that would look like. So went through their pipe. I got a text, a call, and an email within five minutes of hitting the apply. That is amazing. That's amazing. Right? That's what you're up against. So we got, we have to acknowledge that and change and, and be more nimble. So it's the same thing. I'm sure when you get a lead for a landscaping job or a lawn care job, we know the first one there typically gets the job, you know, maybe price and whatnot in your segment of the industry, but the lawn care for us, first one there, first one to pick up the phone, first one to give a price, first one to make an impression on the customer, we get the job. It's the same thing with these applicants. I think the hiring cycle, which may have been, you know, 20 years ago, could have been a two-week cycle. It's a, it's less than 24 hours now. You have to get them into the pipe, get them interviewed and hired and into your orientation within 24 to 48 hours from that initial raise your hand. And the people that have done that are successful. The next thing is we have to stop talking about millennials like they're not in the room. We have to stop doing that. We can't have it. Oh, it's the millennials. Oh, it's this. You know what? People in front of behind us, like are the baby boomers probably talked about us exactly like we talk about the millennials. And I think we did pretty good. Yeah, maybe they they look at things differently, but that's not a bad thing. I've got a ton of people that are millennials in our company that are fantastic. I would put them up against anybody, any age group, and they're amazing. So we have to stop talking like it's us against them because it's not. They're they're the they're our future of our company. So we better adapt and make it a place where they want to come and work. So um And I'm very opinionated of that because I am a watcher of data. And when I see something, I I look for gaps. And that's what I do. That's my job. I I look at numbers so I can see how long it's taking my franchisees to get back to a candidate. And I watch that. And then I watch the results on their marketing and sales. So I, I know that this is happening. And when people ask me that question, I'm very passionate about that. Yep. <laughs> it's- uh, yeah. So first, I love the passion. And secondly, um, I, I agree. Actually, I, I uh, agree very much. The one thing that I would add to it, though, is, um, and, and quite honestly, it's it's why I'm getting, you know, for my uh, landscape company, LinkedIn Group, why we got so involved in automation, because the, the, you know, it's not that people don't want to be in this industry. They just don't want to walk behind a walk mower anymore. They, they, like, so, so at the end of the day, millennials are about technology. So I kind of ask, ask the question because I get a lot 
and, and I'm very passionate about this, where people see what I'm doing with automation, and we're going to kind of undress it a little bit here shortly, because you, you're going to be doing some stuff with automation too. And, and you know, you get the, you're taking jobs away and, and you know, you're doing this, and you're doing that. And one of the things I always say is, first of all, uh, I have a, what I call the grass ceiling when it comes to mowing grass. Okay. So it's like, you know, you're doing fertilization and there's, there's a license that needs to be carried to that chemical application. And there's a certain level of professionalism that, that, that just comes with the job because at the end of the day, you're mixing chemical, you know, and most consumers are like, yeah, I don't really want my fertilizing person to mess up. I'll, I'll pay the money because I don't want to fertilize. But in, in the industry of mowing, like mowing grass, there's this perpetual cycle of people feeling like they don't get paid enough. They go start their own business. They don't understand their cost. They keep the value of mowing down. Okay. So then when a professional organization tries to raise prices, the consumer says, yeah, I'll just pay the guy in the truck, but I'll have you build my patio. You know, it, it, it's kind of what's happening, which is makes the industry fragmented. So one of the things that I've been speaking to and one of the reasons for this podcast is to let millennials know like, hey, we can we can start doing lawn mowing with technology, okay? You can monitor an app and make sure the mowers are working and your morning can start out with get up at seven o'clock in the morning and go do the resets where the mowers got stuck and then fall into line trimming or string trimming and doing the other tasks. And this is just on repeat. And now mm-hmm. they all feel like they're their own little bosses because the thing that I always like to, to elaborate on is our schooling system has changed also, you know, especially now with COVID because it's all remote learning. But, you know, whereas we used to do stuff in class and it's like you do stuff out loud and this and that. Now these kids have laptops. There's a presentation loaded in. They're expected to go through it, pick out the things they like. So so they're they're kind of their own little bosses. And I think that's the one thing that, our generation sometimes doesn't identify is mm-hmm. we want to put everybody in crews and identify you're the leader and, and, and you're, and you're just going to be the person that works under this leader, but uh, they have more of like a circular type of viewpoint on life. They, they don't want to see hierarchies. They, they want to see like, how am I going to contribute with the person right next to me? That's what I've noticed. So mm-hmm. you know, and I can see yeah. you're passionate about that. And, and, and so that's what we try to do. Like we've even had it where, we have like a core values team and we have our older, some of our older people in the company, but we make sure there's some younger people so that we can all meet in the middle. So everybody feels happy to come to work every day. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. And that, and that's exactly it. Like, you know, I think any segment of any age group wants to come to work and have fun. Like <laughs> Yeah. Why would why would you not want to? Like we said earlier, we spend more time with our work family than we do our our sometimes our real family. Um, so for me, that that's got to be an important part. You know, like as an owner of a company, sometimes you have to look at your company with a lens of as if somebody was coming into it. You know, like what does your company look like? You're, you're so busy working in it, but you need like, as we look at these issues, you kind of have to look the other way and look at the, you know, from the outside in, what are people seeing or, or ask your kids, go through our hiring process, just, or somebody that, you know, like, give me your opinions, your thoughts. And, and that's, sometimes I think we're afraid 
to do that. And I, I would say that's not unique to our industry. I think as owners, sometimes you get so caught up that you, you think you know what you're doing and whatnot, but having that look from the outside in or looking at other industries and looking how they're doing things and how things are evolving are just so important. You know, when I first started, you know, you did competitive analysis within the industry, you know, you'd call up some of your competitors and check what they were doing and whatnot, but it's got to go beyond that. Now you can't just check what your competitors are doing. You got to check out what other industries are doing to be attractive to the millennials and the next generations that are coming up through. I think it's great that you bring up the other industries because that's something that traps our industry um, kind of in the, the bubble that it's in, which is we're always just looking at what the person next door in the industry is doing, but you are right that people, they're not stuck in an industry anymore. They'll, they'll go work for Uber. And I found that in snow removal this year has been crazy because uh, with all the delivery drivers, I, it's been, it was the hardest year for me ever to find CDL truck drivers because mm. they, 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 you, I hire them for 30 bucks an hour. And, but then Amazon hires them for 18, but it's full time. So mm-hmm. it's, they start work in the morning and they come home at night and they don't have to wait for it to snow. And it's, so yeah, it's like, like, wow. You know, yeah. I mean, you're seeing, you're, you, you were spot on with, with what you said with that. Yeah. You know, last, uh, what, what was the last face-to-face uh, that I went to? Cause we're, we're Canada's in lockdown. We just can't even leave our country right now. We can't even leave our houses barely. Um, but uh, I was at the GIE, I don't know, two, three years ago. And, you know, I mean, labor's always been a dis- point of discussion. So went over to uh, um, Jimmy John's in Louisville, walked over, went for a walk to grab some lunch and was standing in Jimmy John's. And of course, you know, it's it's not just a, a topic of conversation at the industry events, it's topic of conversation amongst our Weedman franchisees. So I'm sitting at Jimmy John's in Louisville, Kentucky, and the place is jam-packed full of employees. Like the behind the counter, it was lunchtime, there was lineups. I was waiting to get my order, my sub, and they were high-fiving each other, having so much fun. And I'm thinking, Jimmy John's like, what, what, what are they probably paying these people? You know, I, I don't, I don't even know, but this is what was going through my head as I'm standing there going, if they can attract people to work behind a counter, making subs, then surely we can figure this out and hire people that can work outdoors, enjoy the outdoors. You know, some of the benefits that we offer in our company, we have to be able to track these kind of people. They're people that are having fun on the job. They were smiling, they were happy and they can't be making more than minimum wage. If they are, it wouldn't be very much more. And we're paying way better than that. Why can't we get these kind of people here? Well, I think Jimmy John's offers flexible work schedules, yes. shorter hours. Okay. Mm-hmm. Because like, this is what I'm seeing, you know, it's like, yeah. if I hire a, a, a younger person, I don't want to label them millennials. Just if I hire a younger yeah. person, there's like this, like, after seven to eight hours, it's literally a, when are we done? Like, when are we going yeah. home? I mean, I could pay them double time after eight and they still just want to go home, you know? Yeah. Um, so, but, but, but here's the thing. Is it our place to tell them that mentality is wrong? No, it's just, a, we have to adapt, yeah. you know, That's like, right. yeah. you know, we, we have to figure out, okay, well now maybe I have to hire some extra part-time people to cover that extra work. 
you know, I don't really know. So yeah, it's about adapting to, to what's out there right now. Um, yeah. Now, you know, personally for me, my, my adaption is, you know, 200 robot lawnmowers right now mowing grass <laughs> because nobody wants to mow it, you know, yeah. but, um, but, you know, but, but now I just have technicians that monitor that. And what's nice is their schedule is flexible because yeah. it doesn't make a difference. Like if, if I have a technician call at nine and if, if they call me at night and say, Hey, uh, I'm going to go let my mom's dogs out for, before I come into work, I don't really care because now my, I, I don't have a, they're not, no one is waiting on them. Okay. That's right. Like, yeah. like one of the things I've done, Jennifer, is I've changed it. So there's one per one technician to a robot crew. There's not three people. So in my industry, and see, maybe it's a little different for you because a, a fertilizing technician is one person gets in a truck and goes for us. Yeah. If one person is an hour late, two people are waiting on them. Yeah. 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 You know, so for landscaping, yeah. it's even harder, you know? Yeah. Um, True enough. Yep. So. Yeah, no, very, very true. And, and I can see that as being, so look, you've adopted, you're changing the way. So you're, you're going to be a front runner in this, uh, in this industry. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> that's awesome. So, um, so have you seen any effect for your guys' business? And I, I think I already know the answer to this because I know my answer, but with COVID, has it, did it affect Weed Man at all or did it actually help you, hurt you? Or, or what do you think? It helped us. Like we, we had a record year last year, honestly. It was very, very good. Um, and, you know, we do a lot, our marketing, a lot of our marketing, we do through door knocking. That's how we acquire a lot of new customers. Um, and that was turned off like overnight, you know, like there was, you couldn't, we couldn't do that anymore. So, and you know, you hear this word, it's probably overused right now, but we had to pivot on a dime. You know, we had franchisees that were still leaving paper invoices and everybody went paperless last year. We didn't have a choice. So uh, we went paperless. We had no contact whatsoever. Um, you know, right down to, uh, we lost the door knocking. So we really had to ramp up our online digital presence and, you know, so we just had to change, well, like everybody else really change our mindset, but it really was a, a home run. Uh, and our franchisees were incredible. You know, it was, and it, you know, I really, our subs were so awesome to work alongside, with because we were having you know at times daily calls with our franchisees national daily calls just to make sure we were communicating all the way through all of the changes we were making having to get them out trained on this uh, most of our offices ended up switching their all of their uh, sales people were working remotely from home now so you know that was a huge um, uh, burden on our uh, you know API systems and servers and all of that. So, you know, you had to load, uh, do load balancing and whatever all those IT things are that we needed to do. But everybody just went with the flow and everybody just trusted us. And, you know, there were some days when we didn't know what the heck we were doing, um, but we were in it together. And that was our message, you know, like, not sure I have all the answers, but we are going to work really hard to, to make it happen. So it was and my team at THI uh, Turf Holdings is just an incredible team. Like they were just troopers and working very, very long hours. And we were just so aligned. Whatever we did was to help the franchisees and the franchisees knew it. And that was, that was very helpful. It wasn't like 
they expected it from us. They just knew we were going to deliver. Like it was just, we're in this together and we're going to, we're going to deliver what we need to do to make sure the customer gets serviced. And so a lot of internal changes, a lot of changes that are going to last forever now. Like they were great changes. You know, now we're paperless. We're saving money and we don't have the print uh, costs, probably bad for the print industry, but um, anyway, uh, so that uh, for us was was very good. And like I said, the um, I think home services really exploded last year. More people are working from home. Um, people are, can't go anywhere or choose not to go anywhere. So they're staying home. So they're spending more money on their homes. They're not spending money on going out to dinner or taking those big vacations. They're spending it because they're staying home. So for us, we really saw... Uh, a really uh, good boost to the business. Yeah, well, and they're yeah. noticing those mosquitoes for for the. For That's, the right. That's right. That's yeah. right. So, yeah. so, so, so uh, maybe break into that a little bit. You know, uh, the the pivot there. I mean, when, when did you guys start going from the, you know, the actual fertilization to start to get in, into the mosquito market? Yeah, the mosquito market, when we purchased uh, Weedman Canada, so the worldwide rights, the founder, um, one of the things that we weren't offering was mosquito. And I know my U.S. franchisees were quite anxious to start offering that service. In fact, some of them went to some other, bought another franchise name. So right away when we bought it, that was the first announcement um, was to go into mosquito we did it under the Weedman brand, so it was it was very confusing. So we that was probably it was a, it was a, my mistake. I you know I was so quick. I wanted to push that out as a win, but we launched it as you know mosquito service under Weedman. Um, so our existing customers, it was it was clumsy. You know the marketing of it wasn't fully laid out. When we went into the digital space and I saw our return on our investments when we were going up against the Mosquito Joes and the Mosquito Authorities of the world, I just knew that this wasn't going to, we weren't going to make it the the service that we wanted it to. So we kind of pulled it out and we said, okay, we have a choice. We could franchise Mosquito and charge franchisees to do that. Let's make this an incredible value add, but let's brand the service. So it's powered by Weedman. So every Weedman franchisee gets to, you know, this brand is automatically included for them. And we came out with Mosquito Hero. Um, and our we have a superhero and she's a woman. <laughs> and uh, and that was all my dad. I just I love it. So our we launched the new branding of the service at our conference. So now we have the wraps and you know the mosquito hero vehicles. And our franchisees went crazy over. They're so excited and they love it. I was doing some uh, research. You know that those franchise uh, the standalone mosquitoes. Like I think Mosquito Joe's probably revenue about seventy five million in revenue, if not more in system sales. So I'm like, that's what I want to be. I want to be as big as them. So, um, so yeah, we, it was a mistake when we first launched it, but we, we did it right this year. So hopefully that'll be a brand that's going to take off. Um, and we're starting to see it. It has its own website and we're getting lead flow coming in. So I'm, I'm excited about that. And then of course, um, we are testing right now in three markets, robotic, lawn mowing. Um, we're, we are doing that through a completely separate brand. So 
Uh, it will not be done through Weedman. It's going to be a brand called Turfbot. Um, you know, we're hoping that Weedman franchisees are going to latch on to this um, because there's a great opportunity. That's our target market, right? Is lawn care residential customers. So we're really excited about the the brand. We're in our second year of really testing it. Um, this year, we're seeing how retention rates are on uh, this for the customers. Our biggest thing is, you know, if you're gonna launch um, a franchise system, you gotta make sure your franchisees can make money. That's that's number one, right? If they're not making money, they're not gonna be happy and you're gonna destroy your relationship with the, the franchisee. So for us, you know, really monitoring, measuring all of this. So it costs a lot to gain a customer. And in lawn care, we know what that threshold is because we understand our retention rates. So when your retention rates, as you know, everybody knows this, your retention rates are higher, you're willing to pay more for a customer. So that those two aren't in silos. They kind of have to go with it. So if our retention rate with TurfBot is at 85, 90%, then we're willing to pay $500 to acquire a customer because the internal rate of return on that, on that customer is, is going to outweigh any negatives there. So we need to understand that. And that is something where we're getting there. Uh, we're testing in Atlanta, in Madison, and in Columbus, Ohio. Um, Atlanta is projecting, I think they have about uh, 100 mowers out on residential uh, Madison about the same, but what they've done this year, which they're going into install season, just from January to today, they've sold, I think it was 57 mowers as of yesterday. So they've caught on. So now they're at 157 mowers and, you know, hopefully by the end of the year, they're, I think they're projecting about 225. So we've really got a good test under our belt. You know, the first as you probably know, installing, there's that puppy stage with the mower and you got to understand all of the technology glitches. And it's usually the installer that created all the glitches. But um, so learning that the technical side of the business took us a little bit to get that all ironed out. Um, now we understand, we know exactly how to market to the homeowner. Um, but it's tough when you're creating an industry. You're not like, it's not just like we're, we're selling mowing services. We're selling robotic mowing services. So, you know, there's nobody really ahead of us uh, showing us the way on how to do this. We're inventing an industry. So I'm so excited that to hear you guys are doing it. And the more people in this space, the better. I'm, you know, I talk to anybody if they're thinking of getting in. And not necessarily through TurfBot, if you're thinking of doing it on your own, still would love to talk to you because there's so much we can learn from each other on this um, yeah. and yeah. creating an industry. That's what we're doing. No, and, and I mean, I wanna, so we've been doing it for five years now, started with four and it just keeps rolling out from there. And, uh, you know, the biggest thing is consumers always want to know an ROI, right? And this is my biggest thing I like to speak to to make sure every person doing this in the industry doesn't allow it to happen is, you know, and, and honestly, the manufacturer does the, the, the manufacturers do the worst thing for us with this. They want to come in and say, yep, you know, 
we can we can do it for the same price, but we can be cheaper. They want to sell on cheap. Well, what they're missing out is the fact that lawn care is already too cheap. That's why landscapers don't want to do it anyways. You don't make any money. So I actually told one of my salespeople this the other day. He he said something about apples and oranges. And I said, listen, tell the customer they're used to buying an orange and we're selling them a sack of oranges, okay? Because <laughs> we are giving daily mowing. So if we can get close in, in the number to be giving daily mowing at almost a weekly price, we're good. But why do we, why, let us, and, and this is my whole point, one of the points of this podcast is, don't allow something that comes out that is so awesome to already get lumped into what's been a loss leader for decades, right? So mm-hmm. a lot of it, I think, is to educate the people selling these units to get the consumer to understand that, you know, a lot of times we're mowing for like $4 a day, you know? Mm-hmm. So the cost per service is a fraction compared to what people are used to, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's one of the things that like, you know, some people think I'm crazy to say it openly. And I, like I said, do you, like what you just said, like good competition is good to have as long as we know that like, don't, don't try to compete with daily mowing because we're offering so much more, you know, we're offering environmentally friendly, 59 decibels, um, daily, no clumps, uh, returning that nitrogen that you guys are putting down right back to the turf, you know, mm-hmm. so you get greener. Yeah. There's so many benefits, you know, that, oh, yeah. but, yeah. uh, the green, the grass is unreal. You know, the one thing that customers want is, it is unreal how beautiful the grass looks it doesn't have the striping and the some customers really like the striping but let's face it the striping's gone in two days anyway right so so but this is it is unbelievable the color of green of our robotic lawn mowing customers it's it's unreal and and, and am i right would you agree it's like an emerald green it is the green you would actually think people like us spray paint the lawns for marketing. I mean, that that's like yeah. night and day drastic it is when you look at it. And, uh, and, and, you know, to go a step further is, you know, it limits the amount of thatch because um, you, you're not, you're not putting all that, uh, you know, decomposing material back because most, most landscapers are not bagging anymore. They, there's not enough yeah. people don't want to pay you to bag it. Uh, yeah. I mean, the, the benefits are, are great. And like all technology, I mean, you and I both know it'll probably likely get better and better and better and better. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think it's great that that you uh, had the vision to see that. Uh, this is another area where we're we're two people aligned, and we met for the first time today on this podcast. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, no, very true. So, uh, uh, so yeah, so no, it's 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 just really something. So. What are you, when you're targeting those people and, you know, it sounds like the snowball is starting to roll for you now, how did you identify those test markets? Um, They they are some of our leaders in our, in Weedman. Um, So, you know, uh, the Madison group is our largest multi-unit franchisee currently in the U.S. Our Atlanta office is the largest weed man, single unit uh, weed man. So, and they were very keen. They're, you know, always trying new things and, you know, cutting edge and and very, very sophisticated um, uh, ownership groups. And we have a lot of those in, in weed man, uh, but they kind of raised their hand first um, 
on it. So, which is great. And then the Columbus group just joined into the test, uh, a great, great couple uh, that have been with us a very long time and um, are one of our strong, strong uh, franchisees, especially as far as uh, technology and software and, and whatnot. So, you know, it's, it's kind of like a little bit like our customers, our customers that we're attracting are people that are more techie type savvy people. They think technology is cool. Um, so that's what we're seeing a lot with our customers. They're, they, they think that the mower is cool. That's who, yeah. who we seem to be selling to. Are you doing a lot of residential or are you mainly commercial, commercial. or a mix of commercial? Okay. Yeah, so, so we are, um, known for so i so i've had a solar panel for a few years now um so i we know that that's coming from the manufacturer now but i had it before them <laughs> but but that's okay we okay. We, we collaborated you know and yeah then, uh i uh so what we do is we find big large large acreage and put them out you know so that's kind of but see that's the core of our customers you know it's like sure. i don't do a lot of residential um mm -hmm. I'm, you know in, in my market we offer health insurance and, and it's, we, we, we offer things that other landscaping companies don't. So it's really hard for us to compete in the residential segment, you know? So what we have always been really good at because of the snow removal side of the company is the commercial segment. So what yeah. we're doing is we're calling them conversions. You know, we're just going to a customer and saying, Hey, this is what we're doing. Let us convert you. Um, we were able to do a green zone, uh, with a partner of ours, I see them then as a partner because we I work with them so much. AGZA, I don't know if you've heard of AGZA, um, but they do this the green zone certifications. So okay. we get a couple of locations in Illinois, uh, 29 acres actually certified green zones, and they're all with with robotic lawnmowers, and half of them are actually completely off grid on solar panels. So wow. like what off off of this one day we'll talk more and I'll show you some pictures and stuff. Um, yeah, that'd be awesome. But but it's it's amazing. It's you know, you and I just as passionate as you are uh with with the Weed Man franchise, I am that passionate about robotics. I think it's seriously gonna be the best thing that's ever come to our industry. Um, yeah. and I and like I said, I get excited anytime. I can talk to somebody that kind of sees it also because yeah. as you probably already know, 95% of the people you talk to about it are like, eh, you know, they don't want anything to do with it. And right now I'm okay with that because it's better yeah. for, for, for us, but, yeah. uh, you know, but, <laughs> yeah. uh, but one day the consumer is going to catch on and it's, it's yeah. crazy, you know? Yeah. Yeah. For us, you know, for us to be able to franchise this, we're our model is you know if we can't just look at adding a hundred or two hundred mowers for us it's got to be thousands of mowers so that's why we're really trying to do these test sites like very very you know like we run a weed man we're doing these the testing of uh these this concept with residential um to be able to take that and, and franchise it. We, you know what, Weedman has never really played a whole lot in the commercial space. We've really focused on residential. So if we're going to capitalize on what we know as far as marketing and all of that, we're, that's the space that we're probably going to stay in. So this is perfect. Yeah. We can be in the same space and not compete all the time. Exactly. Well, and, and that is really the way it, it, it's going to go, you know, and yeah. uh, 
and and you know the thing about it is if you can develop these relationships early on we can you can kind of give feedback each way and it'll help the industry evolve faster i mean it is it's crazy to me i, I always think it's funny that we think as americans we're so like tech, you know advanced technology wise but when I tell people these have been out in Europe since 1995, they're like, what? Yeah. I'm like, yeah, because we're behind. Like, yeah, like so in, behind. In Europe, they see technology and they just, they embrace it. We, it's like, I'm scared to put any Facebook advertising out about what I'm doing with a robot because I know I'll have 100 comments by the end of the day talking about how stupid I am, how it's going <laughs> to ruin the industry, how it doesn't go lines, <laughs> I'm going to come steal your robot. I mean, this is like what, what happens when you put it on Facebook and because you realize people just want to hate on it, you know, yeah. but then once their neighbor sees once you're a next door neighbor of somebody with one and your landscaper fires up the lawnmower, but, but the neighbor has it. And so your landscaper comes, makes all this noise at your house, it leaves. And then you hear that quiet robot go past your window at the neighbor's house. You're like, Holy, holy shit, there's a better way. You know, yeah. Like, like yeah. enough of this, I'm going to fire my landscaper. And that's yeah. why I'm not surprised to hear you say they just sold, what you say, an extra hundred or something in that market. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. that's what happens. I mean, I was just on the phone with somebody that buys their robots through us. And I told, uh, his name's Joe also. And I told Joe the same thing. I said, hey, you know, you just make sure you make that customer with that robot happy. You don't mess up that relationship. Because you won't have to hire salespeople. They will talk mm -hmm. to the neighbors and you'll just start installing them. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, no, it's an exciting time uh, for us. So, you know, we're, we relaunched Mosquito and Mosquito Hero. We're testing and about to press go on franchising for TurfBot. So lots of, lots of good things and, and we're creating opportunities for growth for people to grow within our company and, and, create careers, you know, so it's checking a lot of my boxes, uh, that I love. So I, we're really excited. And, um, I think this industry is ready for robotic, uh, mowing. There's quite an interest, you know, I've had more calls since I've spoken on a couple of panels and believe me, we're new to the, the, the space. I get more calls asking me questions about robotic mowing than I do about lawn care. So it's, yeah. it's, you can see people are interested. So hopefully, uh, hopefully it'll be sooner than later and it's going to catch on. It will catch on. Yeah. So I know we're getting close to our time that we allotted here. I don't know. I, I know you're a busy woman. You probably have to, to hop off, but I guess I'll end with, you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, you kind of explain why you do it, but like, what do you want to be most remembered or known for? You know, what, what, what's your legacy? Um, you know, it's uh, it's a great question. It's a tough one. And I don't, you know, I guess I want to be remembered for, um, for re helping people, helping people achieve their, their goals and their dreams and, you know, entrepreneurship. And I hope that when people look back that I was able, I had a little part of that in, in their life. So I think that's what I want my legacy to be. Tough question, but a great answer. So, yeah. so good. I think that's that's uh, a good thing to aspire to do, and and uh, I think you're on you're you're on the path. So that's for sure. 
So it's this has been so fun. It really has. Thank you so much for inviting me and, and getting a chance. I feel like we're friends now. I know that's right. I, I wasn't lying when I said you're my best friend in Canada now, you know. Yeah. Uh, so so, yeah, no, this is great. Hopefully this is the first of many, many conversations now. Um, yeah. I, I think that uh, there's a lot I could learn from you and hopefully I could teach you a few things on, on robotics. Oh, so. yes. You can teach me a ton. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well. Thank you very much. I totally appreciate this. And uh, I, I look forward to talking to you more then. Yeah, for sure, Joe. Thanks so much for having me. Take care. Thank Bye. You. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for joining us today. I want to invite you to check out AutomatingSuccessShow.com where you can watch each episode's best business automation and growth strategies and download Joe's 11 keys to automating your business for maximum growth. Please follow us on Instagram at Automating Success Show for more helpful automating business tips, tricks, and silly memes on maximizing growth and productivity. If you felt any benefit from this show, please let us know by leaving an iTunes review, sharing this episode on social media, and emailing a link to anyone you think would also find benefit. I feel-